Good morning. If we haven't met, my name is Susanna, and I'll be reading the Bible passage today, which is from Colossians chapter 3. So please follow along with me in your Bibles. If you don't have one, just put a hand up and someone will bring one along to you. This passage in the Church Bible is on page 955. It is part of the letter written by Paul while he was a prisoner in Rome to the new believers in the city of Colossae, most of whom were not from a Jewish background. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idol idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you had taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hey, how are we? Good to see you all. If we haven't met, uh, my name's James, one of the pastors here, and uh, delighted to be opening up God's Word with you. This is the final in our series, You Are Not Your Own, and so our questions and comments time uh, at the, after the sermon will be a chance not just to reflect on today, but also anything that God might have taught you over the last five weeks, anything that you've been encouraged or refreshed by, it'd be great to encourage and share uh, with each other on that. So that's an opportunity um, a bit later on as well. I'd love you to pray with me now as we come under God's word. Father God, we thank you for the good news that in your son Jesus there is grace and peace from you. 
And yet we're here today with all sorts of things buzzing around in our minds and maybe struggles and fears and insecurities that um, are haunting us. And so we want to ask that today as, as we sit under your word, we ask that in the power of your spirit, you would help us to grow more and more into that rest and security and joy that comes from knowing there is grace and peace from you over our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a moment uh, in Jesus' ministry uh, that's captured for us in Luke chapter 10. Jesus just sent 72 of his followers out on a mission and they return triumphant and full of excitement and rejoicing. And they say to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Not of activity or achievement or performance, but belonging. Don't pin your identity on winning and succeeding, but that your names are written in heaven. And don't be crushed if you're not winning or succeeding, but rejoice that your name is on the only list that counts, the only list that matters, the only list that lasts, the list of God's people. That's a powerful, beautiful statement of belonging, isn't it? And Colossians chapter 3 that we just read a little while ago is another powerful, beautiful statement of belonging. There's all that amazing stuff in there about patience and forgiveness and kindness and joy and thanksgiving and love. And it's a beautiful statement of belonging. But it's not quite that simple, is it? Because we can't help but read Colossians 3 through the lens of our culture. Remember in this series, You Are Not Your Own, we've been exploring, we've been discovering that our cultural wiring has taught us to say, I am my own and I belong to myself. And so I'm free to shape my identity, my story, however I like. And actually, I I don't need anyone to tell me how to do that. And I shouldn't let anyone how to do that because I'm free to do it however I like. And yet at the same time, God has made us relational beings. And so we long for community. We, we long to belong somewhere, and yet we still want to be free and do our own thing. We don't want to be restricted or limited or pinned down in any way. And so what that means is we kind of do this opt-in, opt-out, does it help me, does it work for me, kind of arm's length community and belonging. And our culture absolutely helps us, encourages us to do that. All our technology and our wealth and our social media makes it really easy for us to dip in and out, connect in and out of all sorts of different communities and networks. And so communities then become places to visit rather than dwell or belong. And Alan Noble in his book, You Are Not Your Own, uh, captures this really powerfully. He, He writes this. The modern person belongs everywhere and nowhere at once. See, we we belong to everything and nothing. We roam, but we never really find a home. And so a powerful statement of belonging like Colossians chapter 3 can feel very restrictive and limiting for us. And so some of us will read Colossians 3 with this kind of skeptical or nervous eye. And we'll start reading. We say, oh, there's some lovely stuff about Jesus here. And then we get to verse 5, and it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You think, well, 
That's what I suspected and feared all along, that this belonging to a church thing is very limiting. It's very controlling and restricting. And this language here is very manipulative, these scare tactics about judgment. Or or some of us are a little bit different. We're actually drawn to this community of church because we've never seen anything quite like it. The patience and the kindness, the love and the forgiveness. And so we opt into church as belonging until this community oversteps. It demands something of us. It confronts us with something that we don't like, and then we opt out again. I remember pre-COVID, that's kind of the defining marker now, isn't it, for everything? Is it pre-COVID or post-COVID that this thing happened? Well, this was pre-COVID. A lady joined our church, and she said, I love the community here. People are so friendly, and I love how you just kind of open the Bible and teach from it. And so she opted into Norwest big time until we taught on something that offended her or it didn't fit with the way she saw the world. And so then she opted out of Norwest big time. See, when we see belonging as limiting or restrictive, then communities, churches become places to visit for a time, not to dwell or belong. We roam, but we never find a home. But that's not the kind of belonging that Colossians chapter 3 points us to. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, we discover a belonging that is a, a gift. And this is all because of Jesus. This is all achieved by Jesus. And we're going to see this. We're going to jump around a little bit in Colossians. Um, and, and you're going to have to do a little bit of hard work with me. But I want to encourage you to stick with it because it's really important. And, and for some of you, the next five minutes might be all the difference between Guilt or freedom, burden or joy. So stick with it. Chapter 1, verses 21. If you've got your Bibles there, your devices, make sure you look. Chapter 1, verse 21. That's what I want to hear. Page is turning. Brilliant. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So once we were alienated, we were separated from God because of our ignoring of him, our rejecting of him, our dismissing and trivializing of him. But because Jesus died for our sins, we now stand before God holy and without accusation. Isn't that amazing? Like it, you could walk into the presence of God right now and not be ashamed or terrified. And it gets better. Chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, all our sin, our rebellion, our brokenness, our guilt, our failing was nailed to the cross with him and it died with him. It's all done. It's past. That's all because of Jesus. See, did you notice something as we read those verses before? Did, did you notice anything about us striving, contributing, working for this gift? No, of course not. It's all a gift because of Jesus. Now, here's the thing, and this will sound a bit controversial. Are you ready? There's something even better than just forgiveness from God. 
It's all about our status and our identity. So come back to Colossians 3 with me, and I'm going to read the first four verses. And as I read that, see if you can pick up anything about our status and our destiny. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Did you notice Status, destiny. We've been raised with Christ, and Christ is at the right hand of God. There's status. We've died, and our life is hidden with Christ in God, and we will appear with him in glory. There's our destiny. What does all that mean? Because I'm here on this stage, and you're sitting in those chairs. How are we raised with Christ when Christ is at the right hand of God? How, how does that work? It's about our status, our belonging our destiny. Let me see if I can explain it like this. Um, before I went to Bible college, um, many years ago now, uh, I was working in consulting, and we had a trip to New Delhi in India, which was fantastic. And then on the way back, there's kind of a stopover in Singapore, and then the flight from Singapore back to Sydney. And so we had a couple of hours of stopover. We got on our plane, and you know they do the thing where they queue up all the planes, and you're, you're in the queue, and then finally your plane gets its place on the runway, and it's clear, and they gear up the engines and the, the thrust and the drive down the runway, and just as they were about to lift off, the pilot steered down the engines, pulled on the brakes, and we turned off the main runway and headed back to the terminal. And he came over the loudspeaker and he said, ladies and gentlemen, please don't be alarmed. And, of course, we were all alarmed because that's not normal. Um, and, and he said, there was a, a warning light that came up on my display. Um, it's probably nothing but we, we want to make sure, so we're just going to come around again and see if that has fixed it. So we did the queue again, and we queued up and for another kind of half an hour or whatever it was, and then they headed down the runway, the engines fired up, and just as we were about to lift off, the brakes went on, the engine powered down, and we headed back to the terminal. And he said, I'm really sorry, but that warning light has come on again, and uh, it's probably nothing, but your safety is too important, and so we're going to disembark you at the terminal, and we'll put you on another plane in a couple hours' time when we've refueled and transferred your baggage. Now, when we got back to the terminal, a lot of the passengers were complaining to the staff and arguing with them about how this was unacceptable and the weight that we had to go through and so on and so forth. And I, on the other hand, was totally fine with it. Because whatever you have to do to make that plane safe, do it. <laughs> because I knew that I didn't have a loose, casual, abstract, distant relationship with that plane. Now, I was going to be in that plane. And so whatever happened to that plane would happen to me. If it took off and landed safely, then I would take off and land safely. If it took off and crashed, then I would take off and crash. My destiny was wrapped up in that plane. And that's what it means to belong to Jesus, to be raised with Jesus, to have our life hidden with Jesus. Everything that he has achieved is ours. Everything he has won is yours. Jesus is our ultimate belonging. And that means that, as we talked about with um, Al and Sophie, our feelings will go up and down in life, but our security in Jesus doesn't change. And so you are not your worst day. You are not the worst thing that you've done. You are not the things that you've done or the things that were done to you because you belong to Jesus. And because your old self died with him and now your life is hidden with him, that means the worst is behind you and there's only the best to come. Because often we think that when we became a Christian, 
It was like God sort of set us free and then he said, off you go and live your life and do the best you can. We often think that we went from the prison down to the pavement when in fact we've gone from the prison to the palace. See, belonging to Jesus isn't something that we opt in and out of, that we just kind of visit, but it's a gift and it's secure. And so perhaps now we read Colossians chapter 3 a little differently. When we hit verse 5 and there's all that put to death, those things, we don't see that as restrictive and controlling or manipulative, but a joy. Because, yes, judgment is real. Jesus has rescued us from God's judgment But that's not our ultimate motivation. Fear of God's judgment can never be our ultimate motivation because we know that we belong to Jesus. And so we know that all those things that we're to put to death don't belong to us anymore. It's like the rubbish that you throw in the bin. You know those meat scraps that just really start to stink. Maybe there's a dirty nappy or some moldy cheese or some rotting vegetables. Put them in and together they make that smell that's just Horrific, right? Now, you get rid of it. You don't want it around. It goes in the bin and out to the tip, right? It doesn't belong. Imagine if you carried that around with you. You turned up here on a Sunday with this bag of rubbish. Just Everyone's like, there's a certain smell. Or you're on the bus or at work or at the school gate with this. People are like, what are you doing? It's rubbish. Get rid of it. It goes in the bin. It doesn't belong. And that's our old life with our old practices. It doesn't belong. We get rid of it. And so now, Paul says there, we actually clothe, we put, our, put on, we carry around with us things like kindness and patience and love and forgiveness. See, our belonging to Jesus can feel a bit distant and abstract at times, but this, when we, when we live like that, that is a little breaking in of Jesus' power and the new kingdom and heaven into our lives. We experience that here and now. When you forgive someone as Christ forgave you, that is a breaking in of Jesus into our lives. That's belonging as a joy. Now, in the past, at this point in the sermon, I would kind of go to three practical application points. My thinking was, well, there's no point just talking about nice stuff if we don't actually do anything with it. And so my kind of go-to was some three application points. But here's the thing with that. Until we want this picture of belonging in Colossians 3 to be true in our lives, we're not going to change. We can hear all that stuff about you need to do this and you should think about trying to apply that. But until we actually want to change and live differently, we're not going to take it on board. It just becomes another thing. So perhaps for you what happens is that you come in here on a Sunday and you hear the word of God and you feel challenged and impacted and, and yet there's also a sadness, a despair, you know, I'm just stuck in a rut. I'm going to go back to my old habits. And so there's a sadness. Or perhaps what happens for you, which is far more common in church circles, is that you learn to just fit in, conform, follow the rules, fake it. And so on the outside, you look like you're going really well as a Christian and your spouse and your family are kind of happy and, and uh, your grandkids and your kids look up to you and um, your community group says, wow, what a model of a Christian. And, but you know you're faking it. And that's exhausting, isn't it? There's no joy there. See, until we want to be this picture of Colossians 3, of belonging, until we want God to change us, until God changes, then we, we, nothing will change. 
That's why Paul says in verse 15, have a look with me. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you are called to peace. We're to be people of peace. And that's not here's three steps to better belonging, but let, uh, allow, invite, welcome the peace of Christ to rule your heart so that you live peace for others. Again, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We're to be people of celebration and thanksgiving. We're to teach and admonish one another. How does that normally work in churches? You admonish someone. Doesn't go too well, does it? See, it's not here's five things that other people need to do and only one that you need to do. No, it's let Allow, invite, welcome the word of Christ to dwell in you richly as you do all those things. Let it change you. So, so let's try this. Let's try and reflect like this. Um, the Bride of Frankenstein is a movie that was released in 1935. So by today's standards, not that spectacular. No CGI, right? So, I mean, who would have thought you could make a movie without CGI? Um, and it tells a story. I was a mad scientist. We know the Frankenstein story. Um, it kind of digs up body parts and stitches them together and makes it alive. And so you get this monster that's alive but not really a human. He can't speak. He's barely human. And he's feared and hated by the community. And so there's a scene where he's chased by a mob into the forest. And as he's stumbling through the forest, he stumbles on this cabin tucked away in the forest, and he is drawn to the cabin because there's this peaceful violin playing. And he gets closer and he sees this old man sitting in the cabin playing the violin, and so he wants to go in. He goes in and turns out this old man is blind, so he doesn't see a monster. He's not afraid. So he welcomes the monster in and he cares for him and feeds him and looks after him and befriends him with, with kindness. And so under his loving friendship, the, the monster begins to change, becomes more human. He laughs, he smiles, begins to speak, says things like, food, good, friend, good. Sadly, a couple of hunters stumble on the cabin and they recognize the monster and they try to kind of take hold of him and there's a struggle and in the struggle, the cabin burns to the ground and the old man is dragged away and the scene ends with the monster stumbling through the forest Friend, friend, it's a little picture of our identity. We all have an identity that's kind of a Frankenstein monster. Bits and pieces just kind of stuck together from our upbringing, experiences that we've had, things that people have said about us, our loves and hates our scars and joys, our history and our hopes, all kind of stitched together and it doesn't quite fit and so we're a bit like a monster stumbling through life confused or afraid or frustrated or angry at the world. But like the old man in the forest, Jesus is the ultimate friend. He looks at us, he doesn't see a Frankenstein monster, he sees sinners in need of salvation. And he not only welcomes us, but he died for us. And under his loving care, his loving sacrifice, we are transformed. 
See, the more that Jesus grabs hold of us and the more that we think and reflect and pray and meditate on his loving sacrifice, the more that we invite and let his peace rule in our hearts and his word dwell in us richly, the more that we're transformed, the more we experience this rich, deep gift of belonging to Jesus. So I'm not going to give you three application points today. I ask you to do one thing. Take five minutes a day to think, to reflect, to pray, to meditate on Jesus' loving sacrifice for you and ask his peace to rule in your heart and his word to dwell richly in you so that you are transformed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we don't want to fake it. We don't want to pretend. We're all here as kind of Frankenstein monsters with our identity, just stitched together from bits and pieces in our lives. And yet we've heard today of the secure and rich belonging and identity that comes from Jesus. And so I want to ask that as we reflect on his loving sacrifice for us, as we let his peace rule in our hearts, let his word dwell richly in us, we would be changed. We will grow more and more into the men and women you would have us be, the men and women who look more and more like Jesus. We ask this in his beautiful name. Amen.